Welcome to The Double Up. I'm Shannon Hughes. And I'm Rachel Tilley. And we're here to serve as the voice of women surfing. This week, we have one of the pioneers of women's barrel riding, the legendary Rochelle Ballard, on the show to help us dissect the first women's CT at Pipeline. We talk highlights, specifics, and both the history and the future of women surfing in Waves of Consequence. Hey Shannon, what an episode we have this week. I am so excited. It's obviously been uh, a very big week in women's surfing with the women kicking things off at Pipeline. And I'm just so stoked that we get to have Rochelle Ballard on the show today to talk about everything. Yeah, it was definitely such an honor to have her on. Obviously, such a pioneer, as you said in the intro of women's barrel riding, but also at Pipe. And this really was such a big week for women's surfing. And I don't think we've gotten as much engagement as we have in this past week, just through our podcast Instagram. And it was definitely one that there was a lot of positive and negative commentary around. And it was a really hard one to actually navigate where my thoughts laid, lied on a lot of things, on whether the women should have run, whether they shouldn't have on day one or on that finals day. This definitely was a week, I'd say, almost shadowed by the commentary that was happening around everything, but an exciting week for women surfing nonetheless. Yeah, I just feel like there's so much to process, and it's been a couple of days since Pipe finished now that we're recording, and so we have had those couple of days to kind of think through things and you know let things settle through, and catching up with Rochelle as well. We've all just had that little moment away from things. But yeah, it was it was quite a wild week, that is for sure. And um, I think it ended off, for me, on a personal note, on a high, considering where I felt it kind of had started. But yeah, I just think it's so good that the women got to surf pipe this week and that that women's tour is just alive and well. Well, because it was such a big week, Shan, we are planning on dedicating, although in this episode, this Women's Week and Women's Surf this Women's Week in Women's Surf, this Week in Women's Surf type of episode where we normally go over three to five different news stories of the week. We thought it was probably best because it was such a big week, as we've just said a thousand times, um, that we were just going to talk about the pipe breakdown. And the fact that we got Rochelle on was just amazing. So This entire episode is going to be all about Pipe and the breakdown of it all, um, thoughts and commentary around it. But Shannon, before we dive into that, I do want to acknowledge that there is a lot of conversation happening uh, specifically on social media around the longboard side of things. There's a lot of commentary around the fact that the longboard tour could be dropping down to one event although it hasn't been necessarily confirmed by WSL. A lot of the athletes are speaking up and using their voice. And obviously, Shannon, me and us both being longboarders and you working the tour, me surfing on the tour, this is something that... It's the reason that that we're (laughs) friends, Rachel. (laughs) It it is the reason that we're friends. (laughs) It's something that I want to talk about. We're still kind of in the middle of a lot of messages and emails going back and forth and conversation happening around it. 
that I think this would be a really good topic to hit next week uh, when there's a little bit more clarity around the situation. But it definitely, I woke up to a lot of drama in my WhatsApp groups, in social, on my Instagram. It was definitely a lot that I think has been bubbling away at the surface. And Joel Tudor's post today, if you haven't seen it, calling the WSL out. He talked about the the prize money. I think the main commentary around it overall, though, is the fact that it's dropping down from a multi-stop tour to a one-stop. That's the one that people are more fighting against. So it is easy to say that it is pretty much very front of mind for me at the moment, for us. I can't wait to talk about it and dive into it a little bit more next week. Yeah, Rachel, it's been uh, quite an interesting 12 hours. And um, yeah, we just wanted to kind of drop this in at the start of this episode, being that we're not going to dive into it deeply this week. Although typically it would be something that we'd pick up on, um, you know, in our weekly recording and, and just jump straight in on the conversation with, as we've done with some sort of similar conversations in the past. Um, but we did really want to just give this one the time to kind of sit and settle and almost the same as the women surfing pipe and how much, you know, there is to process in that entire conversation. I feel like uh, this question mark around the longboarding world tour right now and what maybe the future of it holds is something that will just need a little bit of time to settle and to be able to process for those involved in making the decisions, for those involved in um, just voicing, you know, their opinions and the longboard Mm. tour really wanting to see it survive and to see it as something that has a lot of potential to be just the coolest, the most thriving tour that we could ever imagine it to be. And I think 100% the thing that that really is kind of the crux of the conversation right now is wanting to see it continue as a multi-tour event. Um, sorry, a multi-event tour. <laughs> yes. um, and yeah, back from 2019, back in 2017, there was the two events on tour. But in 2019, there was a really positive shift in having four events on tour. And obviously... Things got weird in 2020 with COVID, but there's been this kind of, you know, this feeling that the tour is growing and that it means that for those of you like you, Rachel, that are competing and for so many of the other athletes that they have this ability to crown a world champion based off of multiple events and to gain a following from so many, you know, from an audience, a global audience that care about the storylines of how each surfer does and get to know them over multiple events and give you as the athletes the opportunity to have that that chance to compete at multiple contests rather than it just being whoever's the best on the day walks away with a world title. And there's just, it's been growing in a direction that we've been so excited and, and I think has been so positive. And so mm. it's where everyone be, wants it to grow. It's where everybody wants it to go. And so, yeah, we just felt like it would be a good thing to just let our audience know, especially those of you that have messaged us through today specifically to ask, if this is going to be, you know, our main topic essentially for this week's double up episode that we are really thinking about it and um, it's definitely hitting close to home and we plan to just dissect it as the story kind of unfolds further. Well, Shannon, with that all said, now that we've had some, we're going to leave time for that to process. Now that we've had time to process pipe and everything that the past week was, why don't we dive into our pipe breakdown? And now into our top news story from this week in Women's Surf. Well, Shannon, we're going to start this segment off by throwing it straight to our conversation with Rochelle. And afterwards, you and I will break down a few more points before wrapping up. 
Well, Rachel, this is a really special day for us. Um, I mean, it's a, it's been a special couple of weeks overall, seeing the women finally get that opportunity to compete in that first full event on the WCT at Pipeline. It's been the conversation, I think, heard around the world at the moment. And um, it's going to be a really fun day for you and I to be able to break things down because we have one of the best pipe specialists that has come through in women's Woo-hoo. surfing, maybe the best barrel surfer of all time. And my opinion, such an epic addition to the commentary team this week <laughs> in the broadcast at Pipe in Rochelle Ballard. Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us today for the Pipe Breakdown. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you for all of the love and, uh, you know, honoring me. So I appreciate that. Well, it's just been such an exciting week. And I think I just wanted to start out by posing the question to both of you. And I've got my own opinion in this as well. But just to go, you know, did that first CT event at Pipe, did it live up to the expectations? Uh, maybe, Rachel, I'll go with you first. I think that's, it's kind of can be as loaded of a question as you want to make <laughs> Definitely. it. I think it was really hard that day one was like the opening day with the conditions that they had. It kind of shadowed them the first few days of women's pipe and kind of gave the opportunity for a lot of spectating and commentary to start nailing the event right off of the bat. Fortunately, towards the end of the event, obviously, we got into more sizable waves and saw more proper barrel riding. But again, that kind of the finals day for the men, which I have another opinion on that, but I think, you know, them not being like upfront saying, Hey, actually, we're not going to run the women anymore today. We're going to run them tomorrow. That again, brought a lot of like commentary and backlash that I think brought a lot of shadow onto what the event really could have been. However, we finally have a full run event at pipe. And I think in terms of expectations, I would have loved to see them in more surf, but I was pleased with the final day. I like that. I think um, my initial kind of gut feeling after the fact, having, you know, completed everything, is that the women had some really good conditions for finals day. And that seemed to be a real struggle, especially on that start off as well. Like you said, Rachel, I think that seeing the women have that opportunity to pick out a day that had some for sure consequence to it. It's also hard, I think, for for you and I, Rachel, being that we just watched it on a screen and we got mm. to see what was shown to us and we weren't there in person to be able to witness everything. And so that's always like a little bit of a a tricky space to be in and kind of digesting something. And so we're just getting to see what we're seeing through broadcast. But I think overall, I feel like it gave the women that opportunity to get their feet wet, which was really necessary. And I think seeing Moana walk away with a huge win for me that's kind of where my expectations were heading into the event was expecting to see someone well specifically her really show that she knows pipe well and that it takes someone who knows pipe well to win pipe. And so mm-hmm. um, I feel like in some instances it kind of, it, it gave me what mm-hmm. I wanted to see. And it also let me down, I think in the ways that I expected it to. Um, what about you, Rochelle? Uh, I think that it's uh, historically women haven't surfed pipe for the most part. There's been like, you know, some scattered women throughout history mm. that have attempted the wave, you know, even when Kiel and I were given it probably the most of all the women at this point in time, besides Moana, mm. it's a lot to handle. And I, I feel like being on the tour for so many years and observing it and being deeply involved that they were probably uh, a little nervous about 
the women not being able to handle it, getting hurt. There was mm. so much swell in the forecast that a lot of times the swell ends up being bigger and um, gnarlier than maybe, you know, they uh, anticipate and that kind of a thing. And so I think they're just trying to like ease their way into it yeah, and just trying to give, you know, the, the WSL a little credit and um, what the maybe surfers were even kind of looking at because they probably had some of the girls that were a little bit afraid, you yeah. know, a little nervous about sure. it, not sure how to handle pipe. And to me, like that's the bigger, deeper part of surfing pipeline and backdoor or having events period in gnarly reef breaks that are barreling and consequential is that you got to put your time into these waves. You can't just throw a jersey on, expect mm. to let go charge and to perform because they're not, they're not your typical performance waves. You actually have to know how to grab your rail to pull in mm. backside. You have to learn how to knife it in a barrel, make airdrops, you know, pull into deep sections. Same thing with like surfing, you know, huge waves that are like possibly towable waves, um, like yeah. jaws and um, paddling in. You don't just have a contest. It has to be deservingly that place. And so that's why it's taken so long to get to the stage in my point of view. And so I would have liked to have seen them surf better waves from the beginning as well, because that size uh, backdoor and pipe is actually the most difficult because it's small. You have to know how to tuck into the barrel. You have to be yeah. able to drive and weave and wobble through these sections with really small, intricate, like tiny uh, weaving lines and to be able to um, come up high, but not too high, know which wave, waves to pick. The ones that are not going to like just dump on the reef, the ones that are actually going to open up and run. And so really that still brings up the same conversation, whether it's small, whether it's medium, medium size or bigger, you have to know the reef. You got to know where to sit. And I've watched Moana when I was coaching um, one of the ladies in the contest, Brianna, um, when it was small and it was funky and windy and weird. She still knew the exact waves to pick because she surfs that reef day in and day out. And that's what it takes in this kind of competition. And I'm super stoked that they held the last day in sizable waves. I was a little concerned that it was going to drop off again too fast. Yeah, I think we had the same concerns after men's yeah. final say, for sure. <laughs> yeah, especially after that, um, you know, watching the, um, the second and the third round, you're just like, oh, no, what's going to happen? You know, are they going to be able to like, is it going to drop off too fast? And so thank God that it ended up staying big enough and that they're able to display some good surfing. And to me, you know, like it could have completely gone all wrong in the finals day. Yeah. You know, as good as Moana is in learning how to read those waves and everything else, had she gotten nervous, had she broken down in her head, she could have easily like blown it on the drops, you know, got crumbled in the barrel, all kinds of stuff could have happened. And she didn't, she really stepped up and rose to the occasion. And that's what it takes. That's that's what it takes to be a champion. And so she rose to the occasion, and that was awesome to see. Yeah, and she had so much pressure on her as well of being, I'd say, or I'd say expectation more so of being the pipe specialist walking into the event. I think everyone kind of had her name pinned up at the top saying it's she's actually the one to beat here because of her experience. Although she doesn't have, you know, CT competition experience, that'll I think that'll really come into play more in a dominant way at at sunset coming up, but her experience and knowledge at pipe really outshone any lack of CT heat experience or priority experience or any of that. So do you think diving straight into a, maybe another question in that same spec is, 
Do you think since the women don't surf pipe regularly or haven't, you know, recently, do you think it was, I don't want to say negligent of WSL. Do you think they should have said, hey, we're planning on putting pipe on the schedule in a year's time or two years time, start using your winter seasons to get to know the break? Or do you think it was the right call to put pipe on the schedule and say, we're running an event at pipe. Let's learn. Let's start the train going. I mean, to me, you know, if you're going to be the best surfer in the world, you want to be a world champion, you're going to be in the WSL, you're going to be at the elite level of surfing. It doesn't matter if they have a contest there. You should be surfing it. Like yeah. that to me was always the point mm. when it came down to being a world champion and being the best in the world. Can you ride big waves? Can you ride barrels front hand and backhand? Can you surf a point break? Can you surf a beach break? Can you surf, you know, like super, super small, like, crappy waves like that's why that's what makes a champion in, in in surfing is the variety pack and I think that if you take it way back from when Kelly first started surfing in competition like everybody was like oh my god he's the phenomenon you know he's like the most amazing surfer and then he entered you know the arena of pipe and was scared and he's like well he's a Florida boy he's not going to be able to surf it like he's a small mm-hmm. wave specialist and so he had to step it up and Every single surfer that like surfs pipe for the first time, surfs backdoor for the first time, whatever side you start, decide to start surfing, it's scary. You know, it's, it's the scariest one. He even said it. He's like, I just got my butt kicked and I like paddled over to Aukai and I, I just said to myself, I love that wave. And I did the same thing. Like first time I surfed it, I flew over from <laughs> Kauai and I went over with this guy, Cody Graham and his brother and you know, we had a contest over there at like all in one or something. And they're like, Oh, we're going to go out to the North shore and go surf pipeline. I was just like, Oh my God. Really? <laughs> and I was so nervous and we're like paddled out and I'm just kind of following the lead. I have no idea what I'm even looking at, you know, entering into the lineup. And all of a sudden there's like Jerry Lopez in his last days surfing pipeline. Wow. We're like, Oh my gosh, it's Jerry Lopez. <laughs> and all of a sudden this like set comes through that was probably like four to five feet, but it looked huge. And he broke his board. We're like, it's so gnarly out here. Jerry Lopez broke his board, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, I'm going to catch one and go to the beach. And it's just like everybody that serves pipeline has their first experience of surfing pipeline. Same thing like Sunset Beach. Great point. You know, like big waves, big surfing, waves of consequence. Doesn't matter how much experience you have. Anybody can get hurt at pipeline on the most perfect best day. And so you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to get out there. And last year, when bringing it back to like, you know, lockdown COVID, like all these crazy things are happening. We finally get to go to Honolulu. They're surfing Honolulu. The shark attack happens. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, send them to pipeline, send them to pipeline. (laughs) The event's already on. There's a window. It's at the semis. Let's go. Yeah, totally. And they did it. And that was to me, the warning sign, get ready for pipe girls. Here it comes. Here's your window of opportunity. You know, and they already have built, been building up to this with Betty Depolito having her, you know, a small wave event or um, uh, what is it? One star event there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so this has been a lead up to it's going to happen. Prepare yourself. And to me, I feel like when I stopped the tour, I retired in 2007. And then it was like, you know, right at that time, all of a sudden they started getting rid of all the big wave events and the barrels yeah. and everything. And I'm just like, I'm out of here. I'm, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. If they're, if it's not going to be exciting and yeah. fun 
and yeah. worth traveling the world and being away from family and everything for. And so all of a sudden, girls stop surfing the North Shore. I'm like, what's yeah. going on? We have no presence of females on the North Shore, aside from like, obviously, Coco and, you know, Carissa and like the regular girls that live there. Yeah. They're going to go surf it because they love it. You know, we grow up in that kind of surf. And that's why they actually have the upper hand because we've been surfing these waves for longer. And that's just kind of like the lead up to it. So, you know, I don't think there's any excuses. I think, you know, step up and let's do this. You're making good money. You know, your their talent, their ability level, their training, everything that they do. They have the best boards. They have coaches. They have video. Everything is on their side. There's no excuses. Go out and get it and do it. <laughs> um. I guess I have a few thoughts around that. So my first thought is like, I totally agree with you. You know, they threw the girls out there last year for that, just to finish out those final heats. I thought that was a really cool kickoff to getting things mm-hmm. going for them. And obviously gave them that, that spark of knowing this is what's going to be happening. Such a bummer that it happened in a, in this COVID era, in this time frame where travel's so difficult. And like that on top of, I think the fact already that, the women's tour has so many events on the schedule already that have been very lackluster competitive waves. As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. it got very boring once you fell off tour or like once you retired Um, the last decade for us, for Rachel and I watching as kind of those younger women who are looking at a lot of surfers that are the same age as us competing in that space. They haven't, I don't know if it's, it's that, they obviously have to prepare for the waves that they know they're actually going to be trying to win a world title within being tons uh-huh. of beach breaks and a couple good waves. Thankfully they added J Bay a couple years back again after taking that off as well, like a couple of those yeah. really phenomenal waves. But mm-hmm. then also thinking about the, the actual time in the calendar for them in the year, it would have been like their full-time competition to then have to go at the end of the season, maybe after Honolulu runs in Maui They've got six weeks or something before they've got to be back in Australia, kind of kicking things off again, as well as up until now, so many of those women needing to battle on the QS that entire time. Like there's, they're just, there's so much that was expected of them that I think I am a hundred percent in the boat of going the progress is going to come from them spending time there. Moana took out the win. So in my opinion, quite easily because she knows that wave so well. And the North Shore girls hands down had the advantage this week. But I, I do just feel like it would have been so hard for them to even find the time to be able to be at pipe when it was breaking, given that they had such a small amount of time available to them. And I guess for me, then that kind of begs the question of having that lack of maybe time in their schedules. Could we look at the fact that possibly like the sponsorship of different brands or the WSL pulling events mm-hmm. and throwing the women into, you know, their calendar year being at all these other types of softer waves. Could we count them as, as kind of culpable or, or the problem in the women not having the opportunity to now be ready to surf pipe when they're given the opportunity to surf pipe? Um, I, I feel like it's been too often uh, based around lackluster waves if you look at history in competition like when I first started coming from Kauai I was so excited to travel the world and like see all these beautiful waves and surf all these great surf spots and then you know we'd go to the beach city 
and surf all these, <laughs> you know, crappy waves. And you're like, but there's good waves like right around the corner. What are we doing? Yeah, you mentioned that in Rivals, huh? Yeah, that was the big fight in in uh, women competitive surfing period. Even in the men's surfing back then, we were all like starting to say, you know what? This is actually not enjoyable. The length of the time that your your career is there because you kind of lose that uh, momentum and the focus and all this like stuff because it just kind of gets boring after a while. Like we fought that a long time ago for both men's side and the women's side. And then for some reason, I think they're just trying to figure out where they're going to get their like pull of um, popularity and, um, you know, the numbers that they're going to be able to see of of Mm. viewership and like people on the beach and all this stuff. And so they started kind of reverting back to like, well, let's try the beach cities again. It's like, oh, (laughs) but if you do that, then you're going to miss out on good waves. And really that's what's entertaining because, you know, when you're watching surfing, they're long heats. It's not just like a football game. It's two hours long or three hours long, whatever it is. And then maybe there's overtime or whatever it is, but that's like a short window to be able to hold an event and surfing. It's like, that's like, you know, you should watch two heats in two hours, maybe three, if you're lucky. Right. Uh, or sorry, in an hour. And so I think that that's the challenge in our sport. And so to make it exciting, you have to have waves of consequence waves that are, you know, beautiful, and the performance level is raised. And so it, to me, it just comes back to the same thing of if you're going to be a world champion, you want to be the best in the world, be good at all of it. Be good mm. at small waves, be good at point breaks, be good in big waves, be good in, you know, barreling waves. And then you have your specialists and that's where it's okay for them to shine. So to me, this is the first year ever in women's surfing that really a barrel rider can actually win the world title. And yeah. that's huge. I honestly, I wish I was back on tour this year. I was just the first time the same on tour. Thing. I'm like, can I get a wild card, please? Yes, <laughs> yes, <Give> please. Back. <laughs> that would be so fun. I mean, but you know, I and and really to give the credit to the women that are all there on tour right now, every single one of them actually have the ability to perform at that level because I've been I watch closely every time mm. an event's on. I'm watching every heat. Yeah. You know, I'm breaking it down. I'm clapping. I'm cheering. I'm crying. I'm doing all that stuff because I just love it. So to me, I mean, I I watch like half of the girls on tour. They already have really good barrel uh, technique and positioning. It's just certain ways are gnarly, you know, and particularly happens to be chopo and pipeline and backdoor. And there's, they're, they're definitely special waves that you have to get used to. But like, in my opinion, I learned how to ride the better barrel better at Chopal. I learned mm. how to ride the better barrel at Tavarua because they're perfect. Because for the most part, once you drop in and you set your line, you're coming out of that thing as long as you can hold on. You know, you just point and shoot, you know, pick the right waves and you're golden. It's just a matter of like having the, being able to, you know, drop in and overcome your fears. I think that's the biggest part when it comes to women's uh, surfing in consequential waves is being able to say, you know what, I believe in myself, I can do this. And that positivity and visualizing yourself, being able to make the drop, drive through and come out of the barrel is the part that needs to be focused on instead of, you know, you look down, you go down. If you're thinking about the reef, you're going to hit the reef. (laughs) If you're thinking about getting hurt, you can get hurt. And so that's where mindset comes into play and visualizing and meditating and and just seeing yourself being able to do it, being positive and overcoming your fears. And that's the biggest part in surfing that is is a parallel to life 
that mm. I, uh, you know, day in and day out focus my business and my life on is being able to say, I can do it. I can take this experience head on. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be, you know, uh, respect the situation that I'm in and mm. be humble in, in approach to it, but have confidence and prepare myself. And that's what it takes for those kind of waves. And that's what it takes to be on the tour. And to me, that's what it takes to be a world champion. If I look at the world champions that have been there in the last like 10 years, it's been Tyler Wright, it's been Carissa Moore, and it's been Stephanie Gilmore. And they're mm. all great barrel riders. They all yeah. are going to do well. And they're still going to be the ones on top, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. So, and I agree with you on a lot of those points where you're saying, if, if you want to be the best in the world, you have to be good at every discipline, every wave. Mm-hmm. So... With that said, do you think then, and I, and I also agree that a lot of those girls, while it may have been a bit nerve wracking, I think they definitely have a lot of the skill. Like once they just took the drop, you could see the waves that they were catching. You know, it was just about looking at the waves and maybe that mind frame of going, I don't think I can do this. Do you think the WSL's role in that way should have then been hey, we think you guys can do this. We're sending you out in these waves. Or do you think it was right that they kind of, and I'm making the assumption that a lot of these decisions were made in conjunction with the athletes and you know them throwing their opinions in when they wanted to surf. Do you think it was right then that the WSL said, oh, okay, maybe we won't send you out in these big waves if you guys are too uncomfortable? Um, I think it's a bigger... Um bigger picture because once they made the decision to have, um, equality, mm. that's what this is all about. Really great. Because point. if there wasn't the equality, I don't think they'd be at pipeline. Yeah. They wanted equality and here you go. So you want to be able to have the same amount of prize money. You want to have the same opportunities to surf the best waves in the world. Then pipelines part of that. Mm. So Chopo's part of it. You want to be able to go all these different waves in the world and be right there. Like, in the parallel experience of the men, that's, that's part of the experience. So I think that that's really what's going on. That's the bigger, deeper picture. As far mm. as the day in and day out of like a waiting period and looking at it, that's where it gets tricky because Chopo is the same way. Like it's actually more dangerous when it's smaller than when it's bigger. I mean, there's like the just right that we're looking for at yeah. the moment for women surfing. It's like you want to hold it to where it's like maybe four to six feet. You know, it's like all of a sudden it gets eight foot at pipeline or chopo and you're like, oh, here we go. And then, you know, all of a sudden that number drops off and then you only have like maybe a couple girls that are chomping at the bit to get out there. And Iwana just happens to be one of them, you know, and it was the same thing when Kiel and I were doing the tour. We were like probably the only two that were like, yes, please. Yes, please. Even though we're scared, I'm like, my heart was beating out of my skin. And even looking at it, a couple days ago when the women went out, I was just like, oh my gosh, the day that they held the men's final, I'm like, okay, they're really nervous right now because if I was competing, I would be really nervous. And Kelly said it, all the guys say it. Every time you go out a pipeline and you're jumping into a heat, no matter how many heats you've had out there, you're nervous because yeah. you just never know what's going to happen. And until you like drop into that first wave and just kind of you know, make the drop, like come out of the barrel, get your butt kicked, whatever needs to happen. You got to wash those nerves through. Yeah. You, know, you got to like have that adrenaline, like the nerves turn into adrenaline and that's what needs to happen. And so it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. 
And there's never going to be a dull moment from here on out. If this is where the road that the women are ready to take. And, you know, it's been paved and, you know, grinded and like landscaped. And it's just this beautiful road of opportunity that they have that's been nothing like anything else in history. Like I said, they have the best equipment. They have the best coaches. They're coaches from my generation. They have the media. They have the WSL. They have the prize money. They have everything behind them. Like everybody wants to support them. And to me, that goes back to the same thing of like, well, taking Moana and, you know, she took that opportunity instead of like using it as like, oh my gosh, I have all these eyes on me. It just boosted her levels of inspiration because everybody put her up there into this higher vibration. I'm saying, yes, Moana, you are the woman. You can do this. We believe in you. And it's going to be amazing to see if anybody else can beat you. And all she could do is smile and have a good time. (laughs) She didn't have to think about like contest strategy. She didn't have to think about anything else because she's not even on tour. Yeah, totally. For her, it's like, she doesn't care that she's like in a WCT event. All she cares about is like, oh my gosh, I get to surf against my like heroes right now at the way that I love more than anything. This is amazing. And there's nobody out and it's pipeline and I get to get barreled. And so she's just like, I just want to catch as many waves that I can. And that's what she did. Yeah, it was just so fun to be able to see her in that space. I love that, just that comment from you about the fact that like she's not on tour. She had, you know, so much expectation on her, like, you know, everyone's fantasy power surfer, essentially knowing that she's the one that knew the wave. But the fact that she like literally was like the real life Anne-Marie, you know, like like that whole blue crush conversation that we've had. Exactly. And like, so totally. And I mean, you like had a part in that movie, which is the coolest thing ever. But to think of like that image, I don't know if you guys saw it floating around on Instagram the last couple of days, but of the cutout of like Anne-Marie out of the barrel, (laughs) hand up also with a billabong like on her chest, because that was like the jersey from the, like the contest day there. Fist high, huge smile. And Moana to be that, like literally just that, that translation, like 20 years later, whenever that was, that that was actually like, you know, filmed and put out there. I think it was about that on the timeline. It's almost exactly 20 years. That's right. Yeah. We filmed Blue Crush in 2002 and it was in February, March, at the same time. That's exactly. wild. 20 years That's later. amazing. That's how long it's taken. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and before the event started, that was the, that was a conversation. Wow. 20 years later. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's the progression though. I mean, I, I was looking at her before the contest started and I'm like, God, it's so, it's such a trip because she reminds me of, you know, the progression of women surfing because of the slow start to pipeline. It's almost like that combination. And even the way that her board looked was like a Jerry Lopez board. And she has the yeah. simplicity in her style. She's shallower in the barrel, even though it's like, she's taking these steep drops you know, in big, beautiful barrels. It's like she's she's in the simplest line and yeah. part of the wave that's open and beautiful and has that simplicity in her mind and that joy that it feels like Jerry had. But then she does have like the newer school techniques of, you know, sticking both hands in the barrel, knifing it, you know, keeping mm. everything really low center of gravity and being able to come out and just lay into a turn because it's the progression of the surfboard, you know, in the surfboard industry and, and seeing that that type of board works really well. Like the boards that I were using, <laughs> I mean, 
great for the Very time, different. I guess. But like, yeah. you know, like she's small too. I'm five one. I don't know. She's probably like five three or five four or something yeah, like you're that. You're both tiny. We're both tiny. But like I was on a 6'10 and my board was a 17 and a half and <laughs> I think two and an eight and it had these narrow noses on them. And I, when I stepped away and I moved back to Kauai in 2012 and I left a bunch of boards there and I went back to go surf, sunset and pipe and I went to grab my boards and I was like, what are these things? How did I ride this? Because now everything's shorter and, and thicker in the chest, a little bit mm. wider um, under the chest. And, and really all along, I kept kind of asking for that kind of board because I'm like, these boards are really, I don't want so much board in front of me. It's so mm. much board. It was like, I have like videos from, you know, surfing during Blue Crush, doing the stunt work and everything, you know, where it's like, you look at it and my nose literally buries and then I press on my back foot and scoop it back up and hold the nose and like somehow figure it out, you know, cause that's what we had to deal with. That's what was on hand, just having a lot of board in front of you. And so it's just really amazing to see the progression, but still that simplicity of that same story and the local girl hero and the blue crush story. It's like, it's, it's great. It's beautiful to see that. Totally. I mean, it just seemed like, you know, from our perspective, just watching from the broadcast, that the whole beach was on her side. And I, I guess there's a couple of things that I was thinking about now is like, one, do we think that that might have hindered Carissa in any way? Like being just, you know, Olympic gold, five-time world champion. Like she is the, just the most beautiful, the most humble, but like fiercest competitor who's done so well. And suddenly for possibly, I heard this in one of the other podcasts, I think on Ain't That Swell this week that maybe for the first time in her career or the first time in recent times, uh-huh. she hasn't been the favorite one in the water. Do we think that that might have, you know, just from that sort of mental block of competitive, that mental strength that she would have had in the lineup where she just didn't really take off on waves in that final. She only had three waves. I, you know, I don't think so. I think that um, Carissa is, knows how to step uh, above and beyond those kind of situations. She's such a great mental a competitor, has great mindset, super positive, well-rounded. And she has, you know, loves a great coach for her, giving her good perspective as well. And I think that um, it really just comes down to um, the comfortability of pipeline. And like I said, a lot of the women, they're just not comfortable once it gets over six feet. It's a heavy wave, you know, and, and there's a lot more consequence. And I think that the difference between somebody like Moana and Carissa is Carissa's thinking the bigger picture. She's like, well, I still have sunset. I got the rest of the tour and the rest of the leg. And Moana's like a pipe specialist for the first time. There is a pipe pipe specialist. Like, you know, when I was on the tour, it Mm. was the same thing for me. Like, I'm like, okay, nobody else is surfing this, but like, I can't help myself. I want to keep surfing this wave. And yet there's sunset is next or Haliva is before that. And then the tour starts right after that. And it's like January ends up a lot of times February being the best month. And I'm like supposed to be training for, you know, the Gold Coast and like snapper and like small waves and everything. And I'm like, but pipes firing. (laughs) And so it's a tricky thing when you're on the tour because there is the bigger picture of your career and it isn't just that wave that is everything to you. And so there's the difference is that all the pipe specialists in men surfing all these years that's their game. That's their everything. And so they have to go out there and put themselves, you know, on the line in that consequential situation every time to be able to 
make the money, make the fame, make it all about pipeline. And for everybody else, you have to think about the rest of it. And I also think that, you know, as much as we want to soften the lines between men and women in sport and career and money and opportunity, men seem to not think as much about the consequences of hurting themselves or getting cut up or whatever it is. And women are like, oh, I just, I like the way my face looks. I like the way my skin looks. I don't know if I really want to go through that experience. And that seems painful and ouch and scary. I mean, like classic example, like totally off the note, but relatable. You know, my neighbor texts me this. He's like, good morning. I've got this like huge blade that's going to cut through the, the buffalo grass. And I'm like, that looks scary. And he's like, put that tool on and I'm just going for it. And it's like, you know, men just think differently than women mm. do. And so it's taken a long time for women to be able to like put on their big girl pants and get out there and put yourself over the ledge and go for it. You know, like they thought that Dale and I were crazy for a long time and I, we probably were. <laughs> well, That's I so think good. too, like to your point of you saying, you know, the men have known this is like their prized possession is pipe. This is where in history, this is where they win their world title. This is been everything for them. And they also have known that since they were 13, 14 years old, like all the people who are on tour now have known that and have geared up their entire youth and everything around pipe and North shore during the winter. And so my hope then is now that it's on the schedule for women, that's what we're going to start seeing the younger girls just up the annies and go, okay, this is Like, this is Mm -hmm. what I have to gear up to. And, you know, I'm 14 years old now. We see 14-year-old boys out there. I'm 14-year-old girl now. If I'm on tour when I'm 18, I need to be ready to drop in and go. A hundred percent. And, you know, look, you're always going to have the competitor that's, you know, scared out of their mind. And they're out there and they just want to bury their head in the sand and they're just over it and they can't wait for the event to be over. And you can see that in men's surfing too. I mean, it's, Every single year on tour, there's those men that are like, gosh, I wish I didn't have to surf this wave. And you can see it. Like there's, you know, the heat difference when you like get a guy like John, John and Kelly out there and they make it look easy. And then all of a sudden the next heat, the guy's just like throwing himself over the ledge and just like, you know, halfway face planting and just all this stuff. And it's like, it brings the actual perspective into how dangerous and how gnarly the wave is and how steep the drop is to be able to make like Kelly's like, you know, tippy toeing and just puff, puff, fluffy, like tuck my head under this like barrel. And it's like, (laughs) no big deal. You know, I think we'll give it a nine, seven. I'm like, give the guy a 10. Totally. It's like, it's ridiculous. Who else is going to do that? (laughs) There's like maybe four guys in the world that can do what he just did. And so that's like the same thing for women. It's like, you know, Carissa, and, um, and Tyler and um, Moana, you know, those girls, Tatiana, Bethany, Keala, they go out there and they make that drop look a lot easier on the women's side, maybe not on the men's side. It's, it puts it into perspective with the women dropping into the web. We're just like, everybody's biting their nails. Like, please make the drop. Please, please come out of the barrel, you know, and it's a heavy wave, you know, and there's a lot of consequence. But Moana, and that's the part that makes everybody just go, wow, amazing, because she makes it look easy. 
because she knows how to draw that right line. She knows how to pick the right wave. And it also brings up the conversation about every surfer at Pipeline, man or woman, is going to start off learning and getting it more wired on your front hand and not your backhand. Because to a backhand surfer, backdoor is scary. To a fronthand surfer, pipeline. You know, like if you're going, if you're a regular foot at backdoor, pipe scary. If you're a goofy footer, backdoor is scary. And so that to me, like I was always going backdoor. Like even if it was like a big day at pipe, I would look for a backdoor wave and I'd go on the like eight, 10 foot backdoor barrel because it's just like, I don't know, there's some reason I felt like I could handle it more. And I'd be like, okay, here goes that ledge. And I remember like, a couple times on like an eight, 10 footer or more than a couple times, probably like a good 30 times, (laughs) literally thinking I'm in the wave and I'm going to grab my rail and knife it. And all of a sudden I'm part of the lip and I am literally going over with the lip. And it was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. I've hit my head there, you know, like just, it took a lot to make that drop. And I finally started figuring it out. And so you know, that's going to be the thing with these women is that there's going to be a point when the, some of these women are going to have to deal with the consequences. And that's the part that I think that no one wants to see, but it might happen, you know, and I'm, I'm still here. Kiala's still here. Bethany's still here, you know, Coco, Chris, we're all still here. And we've, we all have our stories of like, wow, that was crazy. Kate, you know, Kate Scarrett, we haven't even talked about her during blue crush when it was the day, like I hurt myself like three days before and I had to sit on the beach and they actually had to put a bikini on Noah Johnson and a wig and put them out there because they had a, a waiting period in that moment. And they sent Kale out and they couldn't find a replacement for me because none of the girls wanted to do it. And Kate Scarrett went out with her, you know, with them. Yeah. And she was like taking these gnarly drops and like made a couple, but was losing it on perfect, like stiff offshore, eight to 10 foot pipeline, but she was going for it. And that's what you got to do. And she was okay. You know? And so I think that it's great that the girls are wearing helmets. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I couldn't, I just couldn't like the idea of wearing a helmet. I see Carissa not wearing a helmet either. And it's like the sound, like your equilibrium, like, I it just would change so much of that feeling. Yeah. Of just being I in think the water that they just and- need to make better helmets is yeah. what it is. I think that I was talking to one of the, um, the girls, the like 13 year old girls out there. And, um, she was Luana, one of the girls. Anyway, she's like, yeah, it's kind of, I go, how is that with the helmet on? She's like, that's, I mean, I feel safer, but it's kind of weird. Cause there's like a little bit of space in it. And I'm like, you know, you of all girls, you young girls should go to these, you know, Gath or whoever's making the helmets and say, can we like, have the helmet come with like extra pads that you can custom fit it where it actually fits your head well. It feels comfortable. You don't lose that part of it because your neck's going to get potentially whipped around. There's that hit the water and then you go through where you might just kind of penetrate a little bit easier without it. But again, that's why the helmet's there, right? <laughs> that's exactly why it's there. It's such a wild conversation too, just to think of like, yeah. yeah the real consequence that pipeline yeah. has and we'll have that same conversation. I mean, even with G land coming around, it'll be a similar mm-hmm. conversation than Chopu. Of course, I would love to know from you kind of as, you know, final thoughts on pipe overall, what we saw from the women this time around, knowing your experience that you've had out there and, you know, those wonderful, amazing 
women that have paved the way for the rest of the women in the lineup there. As far as, you know, progression in the coming years, you're not yeah. to just now saying, you know, anyone surfing that's a regular foot's going to go backdoor, a goofy foot's going to go pipe. And that's pretty much what we saw for the most part. And the women feeling the most comfortable in those situations, seeing like the good waves from Carissa, from Malia, from Sally, mm-hmm. that wave she went for and she just didn't sneak out of. I think it probably would have yeah. been an excellent score. All yeah. going on their, you know, their forehand yeah. versus... Moana, Tati sticking to pipe, you know, wanting to get yeah. those those forehand waves as well. Do you think that kind of the most progression that we might see in the coming years will actually come from those women who learn how to backhand barrel ride the best? A hundred percent, because you get the deepest, mm. you know, for the most part, because you can stick your butt in. And, you know, like that's where I didn't have coaches, but... I was always surfing with Andy and Bruce and out there with Kelly and Shane, Dorian. And um, those were, for me, those were my inspirations. Those guys were the guys that I looked up to, to the best um, backhand barrel riding. And they would give me tips all the time because I, I just picked their brain, you know, and we'd go, you know, we were on like the OP boat trip, you know, surfer uh, pole. And they had a boat trip with the men, uh, top men and the top women and we were surfing like macaronis and, you know, Lance's rights and all these like epic waves in the contest. And, you know, I just like, how do you do it? What's the key? Because I was doing it, but I, there was so much more to learn from. And I think that once they start to like, the more you do it, the better you get. I think that one of the challenges that I'm seeing with the women is that for some reason, I think it's because they started off surfing more um, with the wave pool in that backhand barrel, dropping their knee on the board. And getting really tight and tucking low, but you actually need to be able to keep that ball of the back foot enough planted on the board and flex toes to where once you're you got your butt in the barrel and your weight distributed evenly, you need to keep your hips open towards the wave, your shoulders open, looking out the exit of the wave instead of towards Mm -hmm. the lip, and (laughs) then be able to stand up and pump and then get back down just in case you need to hold on to that rail if it's chandeliering on you or if the wave's crumbling to be able to punch through that lip. And so those learning curves are going to happen the more you do it. And it's like, I was barrel riding for years. And it's just like, the more you do it, the more you get out there, the better you get. And the more you want it, the more passionate you get about it, the more observation, all those things are going to make for better surfing. And the young girls right now, well, Aaron, Aaron Brooks has just Aaron moved Brooks. there, right? Because yeah. she was in Kauai originally from Texas or something, but has just yes. landed on the North Shore. Exactly. Aaron Brooks is amazing at it. And there's mm-hmm. a couple other girls from Australia and even from Kauai. Like they are charging. Like I'm coaching a girl, um, Malia um, Moana Lima right now here on Kauai. And that was one of like, she's super excited and passionate about um, barrel riding. And that was like, okay, let's do this. You know, I'm going to teach you how to backhand barrel ride and fronthand barrel ride. And she's, she's actually pretty good at it at a young age. And that's like actually one of her, her best, uh, what, what would it be called? Your, your forte, it, your, your best quality is that and, and, and big wave surfing. And to me, I feel like um, if I'm looking at the deeper part of like becoming a professional surfer, especially where it's going now is get comfortable barrel riding, get comfortable with reap breaks, get comfortable with big waves you know, the small wave surfing is like, okay, sure. There's always going to be crappy, you know, small surf, you know, and then get good at that as well. But it takes more guts 
It takes more time in the water and experience to get better at consequential waves than it does the little small waves. So that's my tip for the youth. And I am so excited to see these girls. They are going to be the phenomena. They're going to be the Kelly Slater. They're going to be the John John in women's surfing. I guarantee we're going to see them doing the same thing because it's all about technique out there. It really Mm. is. Yeah. You know, once you got the technique down, especially since the boards have gotten uh, much uh, more refined for these type of waves and for paddling in, paddling in has always been the biggest part of being able to talk under the lip in these type of waves. That's why they yeah. invented toe surfing. Well, we can't paddle into it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get the better boards, you have better technique, more refined, you know, adaptability. There you go. It's happening. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great point because also, like you say, it's, it's all about progression and technique and mm-hmm. you get on better boards. That's what these younger girls, as they're kind of just generationally now going to start adding mm-hmm. it to their quiver of lineups that they have to surf and making mm-hmm. refining their boards and everything. It's something that you think the bar is here. And then the more the girls do it, you find out, oh, actually, I, I can get up to here. You know, and I think that's what, like you said, these young girls are really going to start showing and being able to push forward. Okay. So final question. I know we've had you now here for an hour. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. There's so much to talk about, sir. Honestly, so I know. much. We just keep going. I wish we could. I wish we could. We, yeah. Shannon and I get so lost on our time every week recording because yeah. um, we find so much that we get lost on different points. But um Final question. This is from Hendo actually at the Frothcast, which is another surfing podcast. He said, we'd love to hear Rochelle's thoughts about lineup hierarchy and politics and how you and other pioneers overcame judgment, wave fears, and possible intimidation in and out of the water. Well, so that's probably one of the reasons why Kiala and I were the ones that were out there as well, because we grew up with the pipeline posse, the wolf pack. Mm. You know, and for those of you that don't know what the Wolfpack is, they were the regulators out of pipeline. Yeah. And so when, you know, Perry Dane and Tony Moniz and Johnny Boy Gomes and like the list goes on of the guys that were regulating the lineup out of pipeline and placing some order to it, Kala and Braden and, you know, Bruce and Andy, I mean, they were just kind of like leading the charge for the most yeah. part, um, you know, Chava and Kyborg and all those guys that came over from Kwai and they just said, okay, this is what's happening in a pipeline. Here's the order and this is how it's going to happen. And anybody's dropping in that doesn't belong in that lineup, you know, you're going to get clipped. Hmm. And so there was a lot of consequences that were happening and it was a way different day. You know, there was, there was fights, there was like all kinds of stuff that was going on. And it was like, that was also the, the big, you know, part of that got, um, you know, put into Blue Crush was like, it was really yeah. a true story, that, yeah. that whole uh, movie. And so we still had to prove ourselves. And so when I was growing up, I remember like days when we'd be out there. And if I did, if the boys told me to go, I had to go because otherwise they wouldn't give me any waves. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing for Keala. It's like, you had to, every time you were surfing with them, go and prove yourself or you wouldn't get any waves. And so it was always that. And as soon as it was like, all right, we're going to the North shore. I had photographers and like other people were saying, Hey, there's no girl surfing back door and pipeline and off the wall and all that. Like, just come do it. Like you've been doing it on Kauai, get over here and let's go. Keala did the same thing. 
And we put ourselves in the lineup with the boys. Most of the times we're, we're the only girls out there, aside from obviously the bodyboard girls, were, which really were the original girls at a pipeline getting barreled. And so it was like, if one of the boys were up at the top of, the, of you know, the peak, and as soon as one of those guys decided to paddle, everybody had to back down. And mm. that's the way it was. And so it took years until once we started paddling and we proved ourselves that we could actually get away without getting dropped in on. Like even like one of my boys, Chava, he dropped in on me like on this epic barrel and I was deeper and behind him and we both came out of the barrel and then he cut my line and, you know, I got clipped on the way, but it was just like, that was it. That was the proving grounds. And so there wasn't any like free ride from that. And Mm -hmm. I remember like, so many days that I was out there, I was getting tons of closeout barrels, just trying to learn and figure out the wave and just get any wave that I could to be able to like, just get myself like, you know, the waves out in the lineup and time in the water until I could finally get like some of the good ones. It wasn't like, oh, you should only pick the good waves. It's like you're, it took forever to get a wave if you're only going to pick the good waves. You had to, you know, yeah. stop getting so cold. So you had to just catch waves <laughs> as much as you could. So that's what it took. And, you know, it's a way different game nowadays. You know, there's a lot more acceptance and um, support and everything. And, but, you know, it's all part of um, the experience of life and our journey. And that has been my journey in life is to pave the road and to be there to lay down those tracks for these girls, you know, for this generation, for the next generation to be there for them. And somebody had to do it. And so I'm happy to be a part of that whole timeline in history. And it's just, you know, it brought tears to my eyes to see Moana and, you know, Chris and all the girls out there doing it and, and representing women surfing so well. That's awesome to see that. Yeah, I think, I think that's such a good point, you know, I, and from what you went through back then to really prove yourself. And like you said, now out in the lineup, it is a different story. It's, it is a lot more yeah. accepting. And especially now that WSL is saying, hey, women are supposed to belong out there. So, you know, mm-hmm. things are changing. Do you actually think the way things were for you back then with the pressure to prove yourself aided you in quickly becoming better in those types of waves? You know, because like you said, you had to go when you had the opportunity. Um, or do you think the women now, because they kind of have the door open to them, they will now have an advantage to, to step up and learn the wave. I think that there's two um, sides to that coin. I think that there's, you know, one, yes, they will in all um, the mindset level of whatever girls that are on the CT level, whatever girls are on the QS and in the regionals, like needing to step it up to be able to surf those waves, you know, you got to get out there and do it. And that's part of competition. So you learn that part of it. But I, I think that it's still going to be the girls that are going to be the best out there are the, the girls that are going to be the ones that are passionate about it. And you got to want it. Pipeline doesn't have any mercy for anybody. And it's just there to do its thing. And you're either going to become more one with it and have a intimate relationship that's loving with it, or you're going to have an intimate relationship that can kick your ass basically <laughs> and take you down because that's what it's, it's just there doing its thing. And so you either learn it's the beauty of pipeline or you learn it's, it's horror. 
You learn mm. it's, it's dark, hard, difficult, challenging, scary side. There's many faces to pipeline, but there's, there's really two true faces. There's like, it's the most amazing wave in the entire world. And there's nothing like it. You know, it's the best experience when you get warfing spat out of a barrel at pipeline or backdoor. And it's just like, there's nothing that it can, that can really explain that feeling because of the consequences, the difficulty, the drop, the driving ride through it and being able to like get, you know, come out that barrel is nothing's like it. And so it's so much better to be passionate about that and Mm. to want that than to sit back and go, Oh my gosh, I'm just dreading this wave. I'm scared. I'm nervous. And it's like, it's the classic situation. I'm a yoga teacher, right? We all know this mindset (laughs) is a huge part of life. And so there's a cave, right? And this is the perspective of a human being. There's a dark cave and you're going to walk into that cave and you can have three different people there. Let's just say one person's going to walk in and look at it like, oh, this is so peaceful. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy this cave and just, you know, maybe take a little nap or do some meditation and just like observe the space. Mm. And then you have another person that's going to walk into it and just be scared out of their mind. It's dark. What's in the cave? All there's so many things that could hurt me. Mm. So that's like, you know, and then you could have that person that walks in and they're just like oblivious and clueless and they could just bang themselves. They're just, they have no fear. They have no reverence. They have no anything. And they're just like running into the cave and they bang into the wall. You know, it's like, so you, there's this fine line that you have to play with um, surfing these kind of waves. You you need to um, have that reverence and, and respect for it. And yes, fear, but it's being able to face that fear every single time you go out there, every single wave, every experience that you have and face it head on and decide whether it's a good choice to make that drop or not, or how to get yourself out of position from consequence or like, sometimes you need to paddle in. You're just like back paddling. You know what? (laughs) I'm going to turn around. I'm going to paddle in. I'm going to go around pipe instead of like facing it head on and think that you can conquer pipeline or master it. There are no, you never hear the best surfers say, oh yeah, I'm like, I've mastered this way because the ocean hears that the yeah. universe hears that and it'll say oh really well let's see what you <laughs> do with this and so it's really important in surfing to have a humble approach to it to be mindful to have reverence but also to find that place to um to observe and and to find your confidence and to face things head on instead of turn your back to it or to be afraid or close your eyes That's so beautiful. Um, It's been such a pleasure just getting to know you now, Rochelle, and getting to hear your thoughts on, you know, how this week went and your experience down on the beach, as well as just overall. I think the two words that are really sticking out to me right now around this conversation and around maybe advice that surfers listening in or, you know, that the girls on tour at the moment can take away from it are both passion and strength. And you clearly have the passion and that's what drove you to being out in the lineup in mm-hmm. your young years of learning a wave like hype amongst the wolf pack and all of the consequences that came with that. But it also speaks to your strength, I think, as you know, your mental strength and that peace of mind that you're mentioning there of just being willing to deal with whatever gets thrown at you. And I think that's sort of what we saw from Moana this week as well at Pipe in that passion in her mental strength, um, as well as the peace of mind that she had of just being in the lineup that she knew. 
So yeah, this was really, I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, as you said, there's honestly so many things that we could get tucked into talking history of women surfing, waves of consequence, your experience on such a variety of levels, even to what you're pouring back into the women's surf community now. Um, I just want you to know how much we appreciate that and cannot wait to see the level of surfers that are coming out of Kauai that you have had the opportunity to influence and coach and just teach how to barrel ride. I think it's incredible. So thank you so much for just joining us today on the double up. It was a really fun conversation and um, I think our audience will find the same. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, one last little thing is I feel like that one of the biggest parts of our generation in the 90s that we really emphasized in that Blue Crush era, because, you know, originally my um, ex-husband and I made the original Blue Crush. Yeah, that's was amazing. To, was to <laughs> totally so to cool. show the, the beauty and the grace of a woman out in the lineup. You know, like there's there's power, there's overcoming your fears, those are strengths. You know, there's adversity, you know, overcoming adversity and the mindset and everything, but it's doing it with, as a woman, not mm. trying to be like a man. I love yeah. that. And that's what's important. And that's what the generations following us has really like done a beautiful job at. And I'm also um, in the process of making a uh, surf mind body wellness online membership course. That's that amazing. Yeah. Do you have a name for that? How can our audience find that? How can we find out more information? It's RochelleBallard.com make it real easy and simple. Perfect. And then if they actually wanted to come and have a surfing experience with me and, you know, a wellness adventure, anything like that, they can go to surfintoyoga.com and I'm here for you. So I'm really looking forward to all of that. And I'm starting with the very basics in the um, online course of, you know, from pop-ups, taking your first turns to finding the sweet spot and the drop and angles and understanding the lineup and the ocean. And then I'll just continue deepening it, you know, and tiering uh, those levels as it grows in its platform. So that's amazing. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we will definitely be pushing that out to our listeners. And um, I'm tempted, I want to join as well. I'm just thinking of <laughs> when can we get to Kauai, that. Rachel? <laughs> yeah, totally. Come, let's do it. It'll be fun. You'll have the time of your life. No one yeah. ever regrets it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can imagine not. Um, well, thank you so much, Rochelle. I, I, we have so much respect for you and who you are and what you've done for women's surfing. And it's just been such a pleasure to break this down with you and, and just hear your thoughts. I wish we could. I'm going to fly over uh, soon so we can surf and just keep having yeah. these conversations. I think um, just the knowledge that you have is so amazing. And it's just been the biggest pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yes, hopefully we'll be seeing you more on the broadcast. I'd like to come for an event, uh, you know, here and there, like Jopo. Oh my That goodness. would be amazing. That would seriously be the best. Right. G-Lan, all the spots where I actually love. Definitely. <laughs> I texted our head producer while you were in the booth at Pipe and I was yeah. like, can we please get Rochelle in just as a staple now? Because you were so sharp. You were just you brought so many good points of conversation while also, I think, understanding, you know, what the role of sitting in that commentary booth requires, um, which is an interesting position in itself. But I honestly cannot wait for the day that we get to share a few heats together in the booth. It'll be so fun. Yeah, that would be great for sure. Wow, Rachel, I am pretty much just frothing to try and get barreled now after talking to Rochelle. That was such a fun <laughs> conversation that went 
just down to so many topics and so many things of consequence within women's surfing that I really appreciated hearing her opinion about, um, specifically around hype and her experiences out there, which was incredible. And to think of that in relation to, you know, what we've just witnessed from the women's first event there for the Billabong Pro Pipeline in, you know, WSL history, essentially. I just thought that was the coolest conversation. And I feel like the froth that Rochelle had, you know, oozing out of her, that entire conversation has now filled me and I want to go barrel hunting. Well, I will say right after our interview, I took my shortboard out front, um, which is the first time in a while. Uh, the waves weren't that good though. So I just, I had a couple, but... Did you find some tunnel vision? Didn't, yeah. Well, it was in my defense, it, it actually was not barreling today. So um, <laughs> got some duck dives though. Wow. It uh, must not have... Clearly been a very good session if I'm calling out my duck dives rather than my waves. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we just want to thank again so much to Rochelle for giving us more than an hour of her time and giving us so much of her knowledge and wisdom and hearing all of that coming from a person who's actually lived it and breathed it. You know, this is something that we live and breathe from a fan point of view in terms of the pipe event and commenting on the pipe event and stuff. So to really hear it from her perspective, I think was eye-opening and added amazing value. Yeah, it was really good to get those sorts of insights. Um, yeah, from someone who's dealt, you know, dealt with that firsthand, Rachel. It's so different than your or, you know, our experiences, especially just of that North Shore life and um what the women are currently kind of up against heading into their future careers surfing a spotlight pipeline. I think having said that and and thinking through, you know, so many of the sort of thoughts that Rochelle brought to the table around that conversation, um, there are a few other things, Rach, that we would obviously love to hit on in the conversation around how the very first WSL CT women's event went, the Billabong Pro Pipeline, most notably talking, you know, about some of those standout waves and performances um, that we witnessed from the beginning of competition. Well, I guess it goes without saying Moana was the standout. And like we said in that interview, well, she won, so obviously she was the standout. But like we said in that interview, it, it's not just about everyone was expecting her to win and she had expectation on her shoulders. So I do think it's really impressive. It takes experience and ability to remove expectation out of your mind and off your shoulders when you're out in the water surfing a heat. And that takes experience and time to like calm those nerves. So her ability and the knowledge that she has in the wave and the way that was able to come out, I think really showed her expertise at the wave and, and I should say the time that she's put into the wave so far. So I think while acknowledging her win and the waves that she got, what I was really impressed by her performance was her lack of experience in a competition of a CT and her ability to still step up through it. Yeah, of course, Moana was the standout and she is the real life Anne-Marie from Blue Crush. I just so frothing that she won, not only because she was my power surfer for Fantasy Surfer and I got something right on that side of things, um, which you, I realized that you had Carissa as your power surfer, which is quite a safe bet, but I think living on the edge occasionally is a good thing, Rachel. <laughs> Anyways, I was obviously super impressed with her. A couple of other moments, though, that I just found to be so cool to think about, you know, this being the first time that these women really have that opportunity to set themselves apart and try to try and find the best waves. 
surfers that reached into that excellent range. Of course, we saw a 9.5 from Carissa out of backdoor. Um, we saw a couple of eights thrown around between Malia Manuel and Tyler Wright. And I feel like for those women who found that excellent range, even though they didn't take away a win and, you know, even for Malia, maybe ending out earlier than she would have liked to being a surfer that's really used to getting barreled and surfs reefs really well and, and had a lot of uh, momentum riding on her, you know, should backdoor really be open up? I feel like the kind of, it was probably one of my favorite things to know that they can walk away from an event like that, having gotten into the excellent score and really gotten good deep barrels out at waves like backdoor and pipe. Yeah. I think that's a great point that those three were the, were the surfers that were able to hit into the excellent range. I think some interesting conversations and commentary that came out of seeing the scores that were reaching into excellent and just seeing scores in general, Moana's sevens and even some fours and fives. A lot of commentary that I was seeing was the fact that comparing it to the men's side, saying, gosh, if a guy did that, a girl just got a seven and a guy would have gotten a 2.5. And my rebuttal to that, or I guess not so much my rebuttal, but my thoughts around that and my expectations is that just like we've had on conversations on this podcast in past years, just about judging around air game and that kind of conversation. I think it's a very similar one that it matches where the women are at right now at pipeline. And honestly, you can't run an event where you're only awarding twos and threes. That that doesn't make sense. And they're judging to the progression of where women's surfing is at now. I expect the judging to look a lot different in two or three years. And just like we've talked about an error that Kelly did back in the mid 2000s would not compare to a score that of an error that's happening now, um, just because of the progression and how much bigger errors have gotten and, you know, what athletes are showing they can do. I think it's very much like that. And I think this will be a really fast trajectory surfing at waves like pipeline. So I expect the judging to accompany that in a fast trajectory. So in a couple of years, we're expecting to see more and, and asking the judges, sorry, Shannon, um, I will just add this other note. The responsibility the judges do have though, is asking the surfers more of, and how they do that obviously is through their scores through them saying, hey, we're only giving you a four for that. We know you can do more. I think they were playing on the, not the safer side, but saying, hey, we like what you're doing. Um, we know you guys are pushing yourself. I think certain waves that were maybe hitting that seven range in a couple years will be hitting that four range or less because the judges are going to be saying, hey, that's great, but we know you have more in your tank. We know." You have the experience to deliver us more. And so we're going to send you that signal through different scores. And that's so, you know, so spot on with what Ross Williams has said about, you know, the history of men surfing at Chopu is that back in the day when they first started surfing there and first started competing there, they were shoulder hopping all the way. They weren't pulling in and getting, you know, drained the way that they are now. And the judges at that stage were rewarding scores that would not literally be ones today. You know, they were giving the surfers scores because they were just trying to figure things out. 
And now we look at how that progression has come through within men's surfing and the way that they are able to get so deep at a barrel like Chopu. And they're only rewarded with those excellent scores or those bigger scores by doing that. Nothing on the shoulder obviously would would even come into consideration in the judges' minds. And I think that's what we're going to end up seeing from the women. And so just kind of remembering that the men have had to progress and the women have to progress as well. And so there will just be this learning curve that comes along with that. And it'll be exciting to see in the future, in the next couple of years, how those surfers are able to find those bigger scores. So another big topic that I think would be, is an interesting to just touch on really quick, Shannon, is how influential that first day of them deciding to run those just two elimination round heats. and not only how detrimental, obviously, that was for Caroline and Courtney because they got knocked out, but also for Steph being one day away from recovering from COVID and being eligible to surf. I'll start real quick by my humble opinion, is that I understand why they couldn't just not run for the sake of saying, oh, we want to wait for Steph. However, there's some interesting points that have been thrown out that not only was Steph a reason to wait, but Caroline actually had to surf back-to-back heats that day. And we can all agree that the conditions were not amazing. It was only two heats. Couldn't they have just run an opening round where it was non-elimination? You know, if, if it was for the reason of letting everyone dip their toes into pipe and kind of get comfortable, that's fine. Run all your non-elimination heats. But for something that is very looking because Shannon, we we also have a mid-season cut happening in just four events now. And so now the fact that they've did they ran one day earlier in not great conditions that hurts Steph now because she's now missed the opportunity. Granted, she had COVID and that's kind of the name of the game, I think, at at this point. But one day away, I just I don't think I wouldn't have been blaming them for waiting. You know, we can't say that Caroline and Courtney wouldn't have lost if someone else and we'd be, you know, or sorry, if it was different conditions. However, Caroline did have to surf back-to-back heats. I just think they could have waited to run those two heats in different conditions. I agree with you a hundred thousand billion percent. Um, Okay. So full agreement here. Full agreement. Um, Also, even thinking of Courtney, like Courtney charges solid surf. If she was given good pipe, I think she would have had the opportunity to show what she's capable of and she's put time out there in the past. And so for her to go down in the elimination round in very average, small, difficult, difficult to surf pipeline, that's as Rochelle said, as Ross Williams said, that it's harder to surf pipe on those days when it's small than it is when it's actually, you know, a little bit bigger, when it actually just holds open for you. And so, um, yeah, I think that was a really interesting call, definitely harmful for the seasons for Steph, Caroline and Courtney. It'll be the event that they drop, you know, like being that for sure, this is it. So now all the pressure's on them. They also are extremely seasoned competitors and I can see the rest of the events on tour being events that favor each of them really well. So it'll be exciting to see how they go. Um, but I guess that brings me Rachel into the next sort of question around just the transparency of what was happening on men's finals day. So obviously there was a lot of conversation happening globally in the surf world around should the women have run on their opening day on day one. But I think even more confusing than that was 
what happened to the women on men's finals day. Hmm. And I just felt that there was a lot of emotions processing and a lot of different conversation kind of going around about, oh, they need to be going out and they're going to go out. Obviously, in the morning, Jesse Miley Dyer made the call that they'd start with men's quarters and then go straight into women's semis. And it was going to be finals day all up for men and women. At the end of the day, the women had not surfed. And the only thing that we heard from broadcast at all in relation to women was an interview from Jesse saying that they had decided that due to the wind conditions, it wasn't ideal for the women. And so they were going to hold off to surf the next day. Now, in hindsight, looking back, I think that was a great call because the following day, women's finals day, it was clearly cleaner, more manageable, but still very sizey and solid for the women to be able to kind of have their own moment to figure out pipe on a good day. And I think that was really good. But I feel like it was just a bit offbeat or kind of out of touch for the WSL to not be communicating that with the audience all day long. I think that we would have been totally fine knowing that the women were questioning if they wanted to go out, whether it was fear related or conditions related, whatever the issue was, I think it would have just been really good for the WSL to prompt the commentators to have that conversation, whether whatever that was, or to bring a camera into some of those conversations where Jesse's talking to the women and just letting us in on that, like having that transparent moment. I think that's an interesting point. I think I think the reason they weren't transparent is that the conversation was was happening in real time as, you know, they're actually trying to wait. The broadcast is being like, okay, are we going to hear from them? You know, those conversations were frantically happening behind the scenes. And I think the call was largely, my guess is that the call was largely made actually by the surfers not wanting to go out, uh, whether that was for wave size or, you know, whether whether they were saying it was windy and, hey, look, we have better waves tomorrow. I think that's an interesting one. I think you or I wouldn't have docked them if they were so transparent saying, hey, sorry, the girls don't want to surf today. They're a bit nervous and they, we're going to wait for tomorrow. I think you or I would have seen the understanding side of in parts of that. I don't think everyone would have. I think there's a lot of, if they had surfed bigger surf earlier in the waiting period, everyone wouldn't have been so eager to see them paddle out on the finals day. And I also think on that finals day, because everyone was so eager, it was windy. It wasn't the best conditions. But everyone wanted so badly to see it happen because no one believed that it actually would. And then it didn't, if that makes sense. So everyone was kind of really quick to be like, well, I told you so. I knew it wouldn't happen. They said it would. It was big. So, you know, of course they didn't. So I think probably transparency in that conversation would have been helpful to dilute any of that commentary. But I don't know... Yeah, it it just really depends on what that conversation looked like behind the scenes and how transparent they actually could have been. But I think at least a call earlier in the day saying, hey, we're actually managing conditions. The wind's picking up. We're going to run into men's semis because we're looking at potentially just finishing after the men's finals. A note like that, I think, would have been super helpful. But their lack of their silence, I should say, I think made it a lot more suspicious of being like, oh, you know, the the girls are begging not to go out. And so, you know, they're trying to figure it out. And 
I think that's kind of where a lot of people's minds went because it was just random silence, which doesn't normally happen in any other scenario. I feel like that's really all they needed to do was just those little call-ins to go, hey, you know what? We're going to go ahead and run into the men's semis instead of the women's. Like make that call halfway through the last men's quarter to let the audience know we're just discussing things. We don't have an answer yet, but we're working through it and we're going to go ahead and throw in the, you know, the men's semis are heading out next. Rather than it be literally I'm sitting at home on my couch watching, I'm texting with my best friend, Elise, other best friend to you, Rachel. Yeah, I was um, just going to say. <laughs> who lives down in Torquay, like in the uh, Ocean Grove area down by Bells. And we're messaging each other and she's got plans in the morning and it's in the men's quarters. And she's like, hey, what's the call? Are the women on? Like, should I stay home? Should I kind of keep my plans? I want to watch the women. And I'm like, yeah, cool. They're coming on literally next heat. Like women are, women's semis are next. And then it rolls through the men's quarters and suddenly the men's semis are paddling out. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's confusing. And that's something. I think it was the fact that everyone was waiting for the women's exactly. paddle out. Specifically waiting because it was history being made. Exactly. And so I feel like there's this responsibility that the WSL has and whoever it is that's making those calls to just go, hey, we need to let our audience in on it. And um, Aaron actually went through and he he read through a crazy amount of comments this week between different. Yeah, my kind dad of, screenshotted a lot of comments. Yeah, I feel like your dad, Aaron, well. probably a lot of the surfing world were in the same boat. And some of it was really good. I think some of it, obviously, there's a crazy amount of trolls out there and a lot of really just bad thought processes. But um, that, you know. Don't add thought process. I don't even know what else to call it without just being really can't rude, be wrong. but um, really bad opinions. But <laughs> there was a lot of comments on the WSL posts about, you know, what was happening. Just going, we would have just liked to know that the women, mm. we just wanted to know what was going on. It literally wasn't like negative about, oh, the women are, you know, chickening out on surfing big pipe. It was literally just like, we just wanted to be kept in the loop because then we could manage our own expectations and we could understand. And so I feel like that was one thing that just was a bit out of touch. The other thing, Rach, that I will bring up about broadcast, and clearly I am someone that's very passionate about what comes across in broadcast because that is my line of work as well. Mm. But I did find it to be an interesting call that for the very first women's final ever to run at Pipe for the WSL, that they had no women in the booth, given that they had such a fantastic field of female commentators on site between Rosie Hodge, between Laura Enever, And then through the week, they brought in Rochelle Ballard, Kiala Kennelly, and Megan Abubo. Mm. And instead of bringing in some of those women who have that voice to women surfing, they had men that I highly respect and I think are phenomenal at their job. It was pretty phenomenal to have Kelly in the booth, I thought. Totally great to have Kelly in the booth alongside Ross and Chris Cote, Ross Williams and Chris Cote, who are like literally two of my favorite commentators of all time and I have looked up for so many years and great coworkers. I think they did a fantastic job, but the fact was that because the booth was filled with men and the focus was on storylines I think Kelly brought in some incredible comments around women surfing and likening, you know, Moana surfing to Jerry Lopez and those kind of things. Yeah, what an honor. What an honor to be. What an honor. Like I mean, that, that is like, she needs to just have that recorded somewhere and like playing as their doorbell, you know? Totally. Um, <laughs> but like the reality is that because there were men in the booth, the conversation also went to reflecting on men's history. And there was a lot of talk about Tom Carroll and, and some of the greats of men's history out at Pipe where had they had 
Cote still in there because he's the play-by-play and you've there's there's only men play-by-plays that were there for that contest. They couldn't have had a woman in that position. But then to throw in Rosie and to throw in a Rochelle and to be able to know that the conversation, the history, the moment that mattered to have that conversation surrounding women surfing and how amazing it was that women had this final at pipe, it would have been filled with stories about women surfing there from a natural perspective of Rochelle being one of those that has like is the historical woman Mm. that has surfed pipe and for Rosie with her years on tour like I just feel like there was just this lack of tapping into the audience like women across the world and young girls across the world were glued to their televisions that day because we wanted to see women surfing pipe for the first time and we all felt inspired and that is an opportunity for the broadcast to tap into an audience that is different than this typical old guy surfer who watches every single event. Like there is an entire audience of us out here that want to know the women's stories and they had an opportunity and it was so cool that they had Rochelle sitting in that VIP headset and they threw to her a couple of times, but that was just this little sprinkle on top of what could have been like the icing on the cake for the end of it, a phenomenal event in my opinion. And I just think that they actually blew it with that one. As cool as it was and as great of a job as the boys did, I'm not discounting that. I just think that the conversation, the focus could have been in a more suitable space for the women's first final at Pipe. Yeah, I I totally agree with you, Shannon. I think that this is a really great example of a greater conversation that we could really dive into. But I think you're right. I think if women were in the booth, it really naturally would have gone to the history of women surfing there and what has led to everything in the past to that moment that was happening right then of someone actually about to be crowned a champion at pipe. And I thought it was just would have been on the nose or just a a really, I'm trying to think of the phrase here, Shannon, of course, I'm always forgetting it. (laughs) Sally Fitzgibbons messaged me about your sayings the other day. Oh my gosh. She said they always make her smile and, and so laugh at her. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, um, I'm not going to let you down now, Sally. So I just thought it would, <laughs> I can't think of the things that I want to use. I just think it would have been a good acknowledgement to all the women that were watching and men that were watching, you know, it, women and women commentators and Women surfers are completely credible to own a booth and talk about surfing and women surfing is that just like the men are. So I totally understand what you're saying at that and would definitely love to dive deeper into that. Talking though, moving forward, talking about interviews and stuff. I also want to acknowledge Tyler's interview that she had during the women's final. She was pretty transparent, Shannon. And one of the things that she did say was, you know, we're gaining our confidence out there and we're, you know, it's a big thing for us. So just give us a couple of years and we'll figure it out. And, you know, another thing that she was saying was she's been trying to be out in the lineup, like finding her line to the beach. And um, that was something, you know, every heat was a bit of a difficult task to do. And and it's definitely a learning process and all of those points. Notably, Kelly responded right after and was like, well, if she wants to know pipe, like she can surf there every day, which is not an invalid point. But I thought it was 
it was really transparent of Tyler to speak in that way. I loved that interview from Tyler. Um, I'm really glad that they gave her the opportunity to talk about something like that because it was obviously like she lost the heat. So it wasn't a winner's interview, you know, a post-heat interview. It was technically a loser's interview, which doesn't happen all that often. And I wonder how that came about. Actually, I wonder if that was Laura being a phenomenal field reporter and wanting to chase up a story. If it was Tyler wanting to just kind of share her thoughts on things now that she was done and she didn't need to focus on competing anymore and, you know, event she's kind of getting to clear her mind out. I also feel like my gut reaction in watching that and hearing it live and hearing Kelly bring it back in, well, the guys bring it back in the booth and to hear Kelly say that pipes there and she can paddle out and surf any day and find her linings and that's how he figured it out. I actually just that kind of just made me angry because I felt like, yes, a hundred percent it's there and she can paddle out any day she wants to, but also being a woman in the lineup is so different. And there's just so much more to that conversation than being like, yeah, well they can go figure it out for themselves. Um, I just felt that that was also just slightly out of touch with the moment of her transparency and being like, Hey, it's hectic. When I do paddle out in the lineup in a free surf, like, you know, we heard from Owen last week that he's out there surfing with Tyler and giving her waves from his, which is great that they have that opportunity. It's so different than what, you know, Rochelle was battling with back in the 90s. But like they're paddling out there with a hundred men who know that lineup and have sat out there every day. And they're also trying to figure this out now because Kelly specifically mentioned like any day that contest isn't running is a day that they can paddle out there and just kind of figure out the lineup. That also means that they're battling with 36 of the best men in the world because those men are also trying to find their place in the lineup and they're trying to pick off the best waves to push their own limits. And then they're battling with a bunch of girls that are trying to figure things out for the first time. And I just felt that it was just off. And I really appreciated what Tyler said. And I, I think it's, it's going to take a little bit more than that. And I really think also what Tyler mentioned was the fact that in a heat, it's the first time the women have ever had an opportunity to get out there and know the lineup with only a couple of people and how much more you can learn in 30 minutes like that than in hours a day of just dealing with testosterone in the lineup, which is as hectic as it can be anywhere, but thinking of being at pipe as well. So I think that was kind of my thoughts on that. Honestly, I was a bit like, what? And if there was a girl in the booth right now, if Rochelle was out there, maybe Rochelle would have said the same thing. And she would have told us, like she just said in that interview that, you know, she had to figure it out, get out there and figure it out. But I think it would have just come differently sitting from a woman in that perspective. I also am realizing, Rachel, that we have mentioned Kelly being in the booth and not even the fact that he just like won pipeline at almost 50 years old. And that was really cool. So little note to that side of things. Yeah, that has to be acknowledged. It has to be acknowledged. Absolutely incredible. acceptance speech on the stage, I was sitting in an airport. Were you just bawling? I was was literally crying. Like I just thought it was so beautiful, his acknowledgement to Axel and Lindy Irons. and, And it just really gave a perspective of what the moment was for the sport and what he just accomplished and how beautiful it was. Um, and the generations that he has actually competed against at that spot. And yeah, amazing, amazing from the GOAT. Yeah, I was blown away. Yeah, I just, that was such a fun day of surfing to witness and to, to kind of realize like, oh, John John's out. Oh my gosh, Kelly's going to win. Like he's got to. There's, there's just, 
he's got the open door now. And to think of like him winning it at this benchmark in his career, I think was really significant, which is really cool. I'm super curious to know if he is going to paddle out at sunset or not. I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't too. I totally am voting for Kelly's retirement. I think it, I think this yeah, is the perfect send out. It would be beautiful. Totally. Okay. Shannon, Anyways. bringing it back. It's, oh, it's been a long episode. I think this is a good segue from Tyler's transparency on saying, hey, we need a couple of years. It's a similar tone that you and I have used in the past weeks in the lead up to this. However, kind of going back, I'm, I, I will be honest that my brain is a little bit back and forth on what our expectations are supposed to be of the women in their first event at Pipe. You know, framing it out a little bit. They're the best surfers in the world. They're called to be competing on the the championship tour, the top tour, fighting for world titles. And although it was their first event ever there this year, you know, Rochelle made some good points. I've had some similar, similar thoughts running in my head. How much are we supposed to expect of them to step up and say, well, sorry, this is, this is what you signed up for. And, and also I want to ask, gosh, okay. I have so many thoughts here that I really don't want to run too much longer into this, but I really figure, I really figure they were a part of those calls being made. I think Jesse was probably being really transparent with them and allowing them to really be a part of that decision-making. That's not new. That's a very standard practice of making calls. I think, though, there would have been influence from surfers on some of those bigger days to say, no, please don't send us out. And... How much of a say in that regard should they have a call? You know, if Jesse's a friend to them saying, okay, well, you know what? Yeah, okay, if you guys are uncomfortable, we won't send you out. But also, what did they expect? Like, what what did they expect competing at a contest at Pipe? These were the expectations. Like, isn't this what they should have been gearing up for for the past, like, month or two? And I understand it doesn't happen that quickly, but also... This is what we were expecting, right? This is what everyone was waiting for, is the moment to see them surf big pipe. So to not have that, I was a little bit like, when that kind of popped into my head being like, what did WSL expect? What did the surfers expect? If we expected them to just paddle out right away, then the expectations should stand? Or why are we like turning wishy-washy mid-event? Does that make sense? Like, I think that's where... I originally was like, give them all the time they need. And then I was kind of like, well, actually, what are we doing here then, though? Like, if they need all the time in the world, they're the best surfers in the world. Like, what's going on? I think that we can ask that question in a year or two. But I think for this one, (laughs) that's a big time. That's a long time. That's exactly what I'm fighting against. I know. I think that the issue was created because the women have not had a contest there in 45 years of men's history at Pipe. And now, yes, the women are giving opportunity and they want an equal opportunity. And I believe that they deserve an equal opportunity by all means of it. But I do think that given the current situation, they haven't had the time out there. And so we have to understand that there's going to be a massive learning curve. And I'm okay with that. I think where I'm sitting with it, I was in a pretty different position, to be honest with you, at the end of men's finals day. And I definitely texted a few friends and had some conversations around like, what were the girls thinking and not wanting to paddle out? Because we know specifically that Moana wanted to go. 
but we know that there would have well, been enough the thing, of a like, voice. Why are, if Moana's wanting to go out, why are they favoring the others? Because they don't want to. Totally. You know, There's like, a lot of conversation that could be had. This is definitely going to have to be one of those um, deeper ones, especially from your perspective, Rach, as a competitor and having been a part of contests where you've had these, you know, these um, conversations and decisions to be made. Nothing is more frustrating than being the surfer who wants to paddle out. Oh, I can imagine. And is being, is not because other girls are like, wait, no. Totally. But this is where I said to Aaron at the end of finals day for the men is like, it's all going to be clear in hindsight. So come tomorrow or whenever it finishes. And obviously the women's finals ran the following day, which was on Monday or Sunday in the US, Monday in Australia. They had such good conditions. It was still totally solid and big and proper barrels on offer. Not that the women found like excellent scores necessarily Mm. or the best waves that day, but they had plenty of opportunity and the conditions were so much better. Like the men would have been frothing to paddle out on a day like that. Felt like the broadcast team was super keen to tell me, like when I logged on at the beginning, they were like, there definitely has not been any size has dropped. It's definitely as big as yesterday. And I was like, I feel like they've been reading comments all night. Yes. I don't think it was as big the second day around. I mean, there were moments, I think, on men's finals day that some really, really big sets came through. But with that said, it did get windy and, you know, it probably was a good call. I also think in hindsight, it was really beautiful for Kelly to have his day and then for the women to have their own day for those moments to be separated. Yeah, I also actually really liked that. It was just such a, they were both big moments in surfing. So I did in hindsight like the fact that they were separate days. I didn't love all the speculation that finals day did bring to women surfing. And then I myself started being a person who was like, okay, come on, we're at the end of the event. Like, okay, opening round, sure, you can go out in those sur- in that in those waves. And I was the first to say, yeah, they should have, you know, you got to ease them into it. And I said that last week on this podcast, but by finals day, I was like, okay, come on, girls. Like (laughs) it's time you guys, I have, and I think it comes from having full confidence that they can do it out there as well. And, you know, maybe just their, their nerves hitting them and stopping them. It was just, although finals day still did provide us some, I still just would have loved tapping more into that into that uncomfortable situation. While I'm sure all all the entire event was uncomfortable for them, you know, those days where fans were really begging to see the women out there, I think one of those days would have been really helpful to this conversation and to the takeaway of women surfing at pipe. Well, Rachel, I just don't know. I honestly, I don't know what my thoughts are on it because totally I want to see the girls charging like big, solid, you know, second reef pipe and getting huge stand-up barrels, and Moana doing the double arm claim like deep in the pit. And we're going to see that from women surfing. There's no doubt about it, but it's going to take some time, and I think that's a strange and frustrating space to be in. Yeah, I think you're right. It is, and that's, it's, that's the exact same thing that I've been saying was my defense to other people, especially on finals day, saying, hey, this is a strange and frustrating place to be in for women surfing because we're not used to it. We're not used to it for sport in general. We're used to seeing men's sport and you've got to give the women time to catch up. And it's a, it's a strange and frustrating place to be in. So I think that that's a good point and is also probably a good way to wrap this up is, is what I've been thinking as well. And I just, 
I'm just thinking it will be so good to get to talk to those women that were the women that had to deal with this, you know, to be able to hear from them once they have some time to process as well. And maybe we'll hear references of that as, you know, other heavy waves kind of come through and we'll hear little snippets and post-heats or things like that. Maybe conversation that comes up in the commentary booth throughout the year when putting posts up, but I think it's going to be very interesting to hear what our field of women's championship tour surfers Mm. has to say about this as time goes on. I think it'd be really great to, like you said, once the women have had time to process it, I'd really love to hear a well-developed critical thought from them on saying, okay, this is my takeaway. You can't expect more and we couldn't step up or, you know, hey guys, like, come on, this is, this is what it looks like emerging women's sport and making history. Like we're not going to be perfect right away because we're making, we're in the midst of, you know? So I would really love transparency from any of the women. I think it takes bravery because I think there's a lot of people who are quick to say, well, exactly what you said is the reason why women shouldn't blah, blah, blah. So I know we wouldn't be those people. I I would really love to hear their take and their open and honest feedback on what the past event in the past week really has been in the moment of the people we're all speculating about. Well, Rachel, I'm hoping that all of the CT women who are listening to this episode right now and care so deeply about our debrief on pipe, they just write into us and let us yeah, know. You they're, know, exactly they're well their thought are. out and they're well critical thought, thought. Out. Critical thoughts. We'll get them on a critical <laughs> conversation and we'll just just nail it. But um, no, I think this was good. Um, thank you so much. If you have made it to the end this of this episode, I think a really long episode. It's going to probably it's a long two one. hours. We're. I'm assuming it's going to be the longest one we've released in quite a while. Maybe I don't even know if I'll be able to re-listen like to it all. <laughs> It'll take multiple drives back and forth to work. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. And we do really appreciate the feedback that we had from so many of our uh, just followers and listeners this last week around Pipe and the conversation. A lot of our conversation today and questions that we threw out to Rochelle were shaped by things that people had brought up to us, maybe that we were also thinking about, but it was just really fun to be able to engage with people on that level. If you are listening in and you're new to us, be sure to sign up to our newsletter on our website. Give us some feedback, send any questions or topics you like to hear about and things unrelated to pipe. Or if you want us to keep this conversation going, um, it seemed to be a popular conversation last week. So that was fun. Um, But thanks so much for listening. If you can, please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. That will just help us to become a podcast that pops up in more people's sports feeds and things like that. Yeah. Reach out to us on info at womensurf.net or follow us on Instagram at the.double.up. Our website is womensurf.net and we look forward to being in your ears with more stories around women surfing next week. I'm sorry to your ears for spending so much time in them. (laughs) Hope you have a good week. Bye. Well, with that all set now, Shannon, why don't we dive into, now that we've had time to think about pipe, why don't we dive into our 
wait, what's the word after preview? Either, de- yeah, debrief, debrief or breakdown. Debrief. I don't know which one we no, want to say. Debrief. debrief. Okay. Well, Shannon, with that said, why don't we dive into our pipe breakdown? Oh, wait, I was going to say debrief. Sorry. <laughs> wait, no, I'm going to say breakdown now. 